Today's episode of Beyond the Mask is presented by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. Get a free consultation today to be guided through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Just visit crnafinancialplanning.com. Beyond the Mask is also sponsored by crnaeducation.com. CRNAs, you can get the CE credits you need by just going to crnaeducation.com. They have over 100 AANA prior-approved credits, all four core CPC modules, and even over 40 pharmacology credits. No subscriptions. It's all online and mobile-friendly. Just go to crnaeducation.com. And don't forget, listening to our podcast can earn you Class B credits. For more information on how you can submit them, check out our CE Credit tab on our website, beyondthemaskpodcast.com. Welcome to Beyond the Mask, innovation and opportunities for CRNAs and advanced practice nurses with certified financial planner Jeremy Stanley and CRNA Sharon Pierce. Jeremy Stanley has worked with CRNAs for more than 23 years, and Sharon Pierce is a former president of the AANA and the NCANA. Join us as we leave the operating room and learn the latest in the CRNA and advanced practice nurse industries. Beyond the Mask starts in 10, 9, 8, 7. This is Sharon. I'm in Seattle, Washington at the annual Congress, and unfortunately, Jeremy has another event here he has to attend. However, listeners, I've been joined by one of our new guest co-hosts, Jackie Rolls. Jackie's been a longtime friend of mine and is one of the group I affectionately call the Fab Four. Tracy's been on the show, and Carol will be on the show before very long co-hosting, but Jackie, thank you for joining me today. Why don't you tell a little bit about yourself before we kick our topic off today? Well, thank you, Sharon, and I'm honored to be here, and it's very different being on the other side of Beyond the Mask. (laughs) I'm used to being the one that is asked the questions, (laughs) but I have been involved with the AANA since 1994. My first annual meeting was 1998, Mm. and as Sharon has been involved, I've been on many committees board of directors and president of the AANA in fiscal year 2009. Most of the time today I'm spending AANA service as the International Federation of the Nurse Anesthetists and on the Non-Surgical Pain Management Advisory Committee. Oh, and you forgot one little piece. You were interim CEO of the AANA for a while. I was. Quite an experience. <laughs> That's all we'll say about it. That, that, all right. We'll, we'll <laughs> let you go with that. But today we have a fantastic guest with us. I saw her topic um, here in Seattle. I emailed her and asked her if she would come on the podcast today, and our topic is um, something that might be interesting to you and I, Jackie. Indeed. <laughs> and it's on engaging the late career CRNA. So we'd like to welcome Cindy Farina. I said that correctly? Yes, Farina? you did. Very nice. Um, from Michigan. So yes. welcome, Cindy. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you become interested in this topic? Okay. Well, um, I'm a practicing CRNA from the Metro Detroit area, and I proudly um, serve as a remote instructor for the Rush University Nurse Anesthesia Program as an assistant professor um, and part-time. So it's been a wonderful way, I think, to augment my career at this point in time. 
I became interested because I'd been in practice for 27 years and just noticed at a certain point in a place of employment where I've worked for so long, there just seemed to be a change in the atmosphere. Is this place is my home, but suddenly I started to feel invisible. Hmm. Not part of conversations, etc. Uh, and it was unsettling. Now, I'm the youngest in a family of three kids. I have two older brothers and other family members that I think uh, kind of got the brunt of ageism. Mm -hmm where some of them lost their jobs in their mid-50s. Wow. Even though, and you know, this is an industry now where it's like, oh, I always thought, you know, everybody works till 65. We need to wait that long to get our Social Security, our Medicare. What in the world are they going to do now? That sounds awful. Mm -hmm. And a sibling of mine who's a retired engineer that was one day saying, he's brilliant in his job, he said, I'm not getting the same assignments I used to. And uh, my desk by the window was taken away in favor of somebody younger. So oh, Lord, I'm like, I'm well, scared. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is why I want to bring this up. And I'm like, well, if this is happening to other people in the later stages of our career, why would I imagine that it's not happening here? Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, I've done some work and research on ageism. And it's a major driver for people to leave the workforce, and it really takes a hit on our job satisfaction. So I've done a fair amount of work with wellness also. I'm the former wellness committee chair for the state of Michigan and for the ANA. My basic philosophy is we should not be miserable going to work. Yes, it's hard enough. There's stress, things we have to manage, but misery does not have to be part of our work lives. So uh, I think it's important to get the topic of ageism out there for people to realize this. And uh, I feel like, well, our society is youth-oriented. There's no question about Very. it. Mm -hmm. uh, in the United States, but this is also a global phenomenon. Now, um, there are cultures that value age, etc., but we certainly don't. No. And this is apparent in advertising, in the media. I've even noticed the greeting card industry and the party favor industry. Because I had to plan, I had to pleasure and is very proud to have planned a birthday party for my 90 year old mother it was a surprise and i was looking for party favors and everything was black i thought now how tacky would that be sure. to decorate a party for somebody turning 90 when we have black everywhere and that starts at age 40 I it think. does 40 with 50. The black cards and the, you're over yeah. the hill so right and uh i don't know i we have conquered so many things that are associated with stigma. Now, I was very aware of the women's movement in the 1970s and things. Well, a pregnant woman could not appear on television. Oh, Pregnancy yeah. was well, a stigma. I Love Lucy was the first time they oh. ever let a pregnant mm -hmm. woman appear on television. And I, I think and that was... fight for that. Yeah. I mean, in the 1950s, wow. Um, so, you know... You're pregnant, you can still get a job. They can't discriminate against you. We've made strides against race, ethnicity, religion, um, disabilities, mental illness. But ageism remains the last form of acceptable discrimination. It is called a second-class civil rights issue. And it's unfortunately very hard to prove. And the courts sure. don't often side with plaintiffs in cases of age discrimination. So, so we've tackled everything in diversity. 
except for age. age. Yeah, to build an age-inclusive workforce. And I joined the ANA Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Committee specifically with this in mind. Wow. And they were kind enough to accept me on the committee and give me a place so that I could come here and talk about this. I find this fascinating mm-hmm. because I sit on the, our college's DEI committee. Okay. There's not been any mention in three, four years about age being a factor. Mm-hmm. And so when Sharon invited me to be co-host and I read this, mm-hmm. I was totally enthralled by this topic and oh, knew you were you. going to speak. Mm-hmm. But what a great topic. Have you noticed anything in healthcare, nursing, or nurse anesthesiology that addresses this? I Well, I had to do literature searches to prepare for my presentation. And there's a fair amount of literature in the nursing profession about ageism, some in anesthesiology for physicians, but there really isn't a lot out there for CRNAs. We have, I think, broken into this. There's an article published in uh, geriatrics or geriatric nursing by... um, (laughs) (laughs) Hold that thought. Uh. (laughs) By uh, Brett Morgan, Lorraine Mm -hmm. Jordan, and Mm -hmm. Louis Rivera, where they talked about the importance of maintaining our workforce through retaining late career CRNAs. And, you know, it's funny when we say geriatrics, it's a scary word. People start laughing, etc. Um, and it just goes back to the fact that age is something shameful. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, all we did is keep getting out of bed every morning and showing up for work. Right. <laughs> so, right. <laughs> day after day, week after week, year after year. And congratulations, you're an older person now. <laughs> wow. I know one of my most favorite things to do at work is when I have an older person, I ask them, how old do you feel like you are in your head? And uh-huh. everybody makes fun of me for doing this. I don't care. But um, <laughs> I, I can have a 90-year-old, and none of them ever feel like they're over 60 years old. Never. And I can still remember mm-hmm. one day at work. This has been in the late 90s. Somebody said, well, how old are you, Sharon? And 21 come out of my mouth before I could stop it. And they said, you got children older than that. (laughs) And I said, well, you know what? That's what I feel like. Now, I don't feel like I'm 21 anymore. But start asking people, how old do you feel like you are in your head? And you'll be surprised by the answers that, that you get. But back on topic, I digress, which is not unusual sometimes. But what are the drivers of ageist behaviors in the workplace? Well, so uh, it took me until I reached my doctoral studies that I fell in love with theory. I know it's not popular with a lot of people, but but it explains why things are. And uh, it's very well explained by something called the terror management theory. Terror, terror like management. Terror, T-E-R-R-O-R. Okay, well, yeah. there you go. I am terrified. <laughs> so, um, when people reach a point in life that they're aware of their own mortality and the fact mm-hmm. that they are or will grow older, they tend to push away reminders of this as a self-defense mechanism, sure. so to speak. So, they will distance themselves from older people and they will adapt ageist behaviors. As a way of pushing away this reminder that, you know, you know, they were getting older that, you know, death is a fact of life. Um, Another theory is social identity. Now, this pertains to a lot of things. But um, according to social identity theory, we group together with others like us. So we identify an outstanding or salient characteristic. Age can be one of them. So we 
form groups full of our own ages, and we form what's called an in-group that, of course, we're a member of, and we view ourselves positively. But other groups that are the out-groups, we view negatively. Oh, that so, sounds like our coffee cups that you bought. <laughs> it says, I feel sorry for girls who are not friends with us. There's four. <laughs> so, because uh, we've got our end group. We do. Sure. Yeah. And there's one more, uh, something called the justification suppression model. So imagine this carrying out in the workplace that we create a prototype, say a prototypical worker. And this is the standard by which everybody else is measured. So if you don't fit into this category, you may be perceived as a lack of fit or somebody who's undesirable. Right. So I'll go out on a limb here as I don't like making generalizations, but okay, we've got the prototypical young worker here who stays late, works extra, does it all, et cetera. But then you've got someone else who maybe is getting a little bit older and doesn't want the call, et cetera. There's certain things that, you know, can be difficult and it's like well you don't fit the mold of what we expect mm -hmm. so now this becomes a problem but those are three drivers of let me ageism. ask you a question that i just thought of i think part of this you may agree or disagree could be widened by the technology and the gap in technology mm -hmm. also uh -huh. because the young we're talking four-year-olds can use iphones now and do uh -huh. things and yet we have online students mm -hmm. that are struggling with mm. online platforms because we do have sometimes older students and programs and uh -huh. they'll flat out say to you and they are looked at as less desirable many times in a university setting hmm. and mm -hmm. there'll be questions to an older student somebody interviewing and yeah. not just that in business i know in my husband's business how literate are you right. with That's computer cool. programs or things and so uh -huh. i just really kind of thought about that as related yeah, to what uh -huh. we do, because we've gone to online charting. It's been years now, mm -hmm. but I'm wondering if that also is something that people are being judged on. I think the potential is there, but I don't think we give enough, give ourselves enough credit as being, you know, maybe middle-aged or older with the ability to use technology. And the reason I say that is we've all adapted well to electronic charting. Okay, my older colleagues and I, we're doing it just like everybody else. And I returned to school to pursue a DNP when I was 52. I had classmates in their 60s. And, you know, we managed. It's like, well, up to now, I didn't have to use a computer, but I learned. And I think I'm pretty good at it. However, technology is very imperfect. I think it's, True. even though it can do so much, it's in the infancy stages, like, I think of the first model cars. <laughs> and mm -hmm. I, said, I said, I quit apologizing when I call, no offense, Apple Care or go to the store and they can't answer my questions. This is hard for everybody. And it's interesting that I will hear younger people in their late 30s and 40s still tell me I'm not tech savvy. Yes. Like, well, so I don't feel so bad. And there's tech support out there. Our unsung right. heroes here, people mm -hmm. that help us through our tech challenges. So uh, I can't say one way okay. for another that this is a game changer for us. Tell us, what do you believe are some challenges that come along with aging in our profession, nurse anesthesiology? Mm -hmm. You know, these are all things that are evidence-based. And, uh, you know, I'm not making up anything I'm saying here. It's all out in the literature. But also through personal experience, fatigue, I think, is a major challenge and sleep disruptions start creeping up. This is natural. So although we managed to do this, it's just 
not as easy. Luckily, where I work, midnights, well, in, historically, they've been optional. And uh, I was picking them up on a voluntary basis until one day, it's like, it's taking me three days to recover mm-hmm. and I can't sleep past noon. I can't volunteer for this anymore. I hear uh, that commonly yes. from colleagues, yeah. don't you, Sharon? Oh, oh, oh yes. And All of a sudden, they'll say, I'm 50, I can't do this any longer. And I don't oh, know yeah. that 50 is the magic number, but I do mm-hmm. hear that a lot. Yeah. Right. And, you know, even though it's not easy for anybody, it's especially hard as you get older. So fatigue's a problem. There are changes in our eyesight. doesn't mean we can't see oh, and we can't Lord. do our work. <laughs> Okay. I carry a lamp to the GI places because <laughs> hey. I can't, I can't see. To Thank draw, God but... phones have flashlights. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Well, who was it? Jill Mason made a picture of uh, the four of us in Philomena's in Washington, D.C. and posted it because all four of us have our phones out with the lights on looking, uh-huh. looking the at menu. the menu. But back to what you were saying before, mm-hmm. I work with a, a, GI, a GI doc on Monday and mm-hmm. Tuesdays. And we do between 20 and 25 GI cases a day. Mm -hmm. Well, he said, Sharon, I want you to work here another day a week, and I'm going to do 30 cases a day. I said, find you another girl. This one's (laughs) not doing it. I said, I am worn out right, doing Uh 25 cases. And, you know, there's a lot of young CRNAs who will come in there, and it wears them out. I'm like, you're pushing me. Mm -hmm. 30 cases, I said, my brain will be fried. I can't do it. I won't do yeah. it. I won't do it. I well, said, find you a young chick, but, <laughs> but it's it's not me. Other challenges. Well, eyesight. I mean, I stopped wearing contact lenses to work because I could no longer see the very tiny print on our medication vials, especially in the dark. Yeah. Well, and now like, oh. they have that magnifying thing on your phone. Oh, okay. And I use uh, it now. <laughs> oh, awesome. Okay. <laughs> um, hearing. Supposedly yes, yes. declines as we age, but we have worked in a noisy environment, mm-hmm. which can also have an effect on our hearing. Yes. It isn't that bad, but you may wind up turning up the sound on your monitor one notch. Um, I don't think we do a very good job at controlling noise in the OR. We don't. Um, have you experienced somebody posting their speakers right behind the anesthesia machine oh, yeah. and turning the volume up? Um, Actually, we did a podcast on noises in the in the ORs uh-huh. with Marianne Cosgrove, who did oh, yeah. her DM, mm-hmm. some of her DMP work on ambient noise, mm-hmm. and OSHA controls or sets standards for mm-hmm. for noise mm-hmm. in all other professions. They don't for <laughs> us, uh-huh. and uh-huh. sometimes the decibel level is actually as high as a contract. Uh, contractor site mm-hmm. in the OR. And yeah. So you're exactly right about that. So uh, hearing and then just physical limitations start cropping up. You're not as flexible as you used to be. Things start hurting. And, uh, you know, I think we all, when we reach retirement age, would like to do so in good health. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I'm not volunteering to hurt my back or do anything that becomes a chronic condition. So, yeah, I think those are major challenges, I think, of on-the-job ways that aging affects us. However, you know, I look around me still, and my older colleagues have never complained out loud no. of what's going on. I think we tend to keep that to ourselves. But, you know, we're stepping up to the plate, and we're making this work, even though, you know, we have our challenges. 
Attention all certified nurse anesthetists. Are you in need of a reliable and quality continuing education option? Well, look no further than crnaeducation.com. We are an NBCRNA recognized provider offering all four core CPC modules to meet your certification requirements. You can choose from more than 100 AANA prior approved Class A CE credits with 43 articles covering a wide range of anesthesia topics. Need pharmacology CE credits? Well, we've got you covered there as well with over 40 pharmacology CE credits available. All credits are completed online and are mobile friendly. Choose articles worth one, two, or three credits. There's no subscriptions, no hidden fees, just the CE credits you need when you need them. Owned by CRNAs since 2011, you can trust in our commitment to your education. And customer service is always a quick email or phone call or even text away. To sign up and find out more about our education options, visit crnaeducation.com, your partner in continuing education. That's crnaeducation.com. So let's talk a little bit about some of the benefits and pitfalls of offering accommodations and privileges to late career CRNAs. Yeah, um, well, first of all, it seems to be something that makes sense, but can be risky when it's perceived as a difference in fairness. Um, however, when we talk about the concept of fairness, I think back to uh, the director of early childhood at my daughter's school who said, it's not about what's fair, it's about what's just. So if we're trying to keep people in the workforce and, you know, we're willing to make accommodations in so many different ways. So common sense and literature-based suggestions for accommodation are flexible scheduling. Everybody enjoys that, but it's helpful to older CRNAs, choice of work hours, and uh, a concept called job crafting. You know, I think I this know goes for any job crafting is just kind of adjusting your job okay. Okay. <laughs> to according to your likes and dislikes. And how I imagine this playing out in the CRNA profession is, uh, well, you can just look at older late career CRNAs that, you know, maybe there are cases you just don't want to be in anymore. I'm there. They've just become a little bit too much or you need a break. You know, people who are mid-career, et cetera, might say, you know what, I, I want to do this right now. I don't think there's anything wrong with that because, you know, it's it sustains your job satisfaction, going back to why should we be miserable at work. Um, but I think it keeps us afloat. You know, some people may say, well, you know, people don't want to do this. They don't want to do that. This may come from leadership. But most of the time, one person's trash is another person's treasure. So the cases you don't want to do, somebody else may, be, may embrace. So I think this can work. And, you know... Myself, as I became an educator, there are cases I want to go back to. Mm-hmm. Makes me a better, better educator. And I have the confidence in us, no matter where we are in our career, that we can still look things up and we have the inherent knowledge to you know, be successful in cases that we haven't done in a while. Absolutely. We have more tools at our fingertips now mm-hmm. than we've ever had. And we can ensure right. patient safety mm-hmm. by taking a minute to look something up. And there's nothing uh, wrong with that. Right. So, well, I tell some of my colleagues, I went back to work in a hospital a couple of years ago, Mm -hmm. first time in 16 years, and I've told them, you know, I can do these cases if I want to. I said, I just don't want to, Um, you know, 
doing cases that from the gun and knife club used to be fun, but I don't I don't get the thrill from the that, that adrenaline release anymore like I used to. A good gallbladder makes me happy. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. I think the happier that we are as providers too, the better care we're going to provide and the happier our patients are. That's true. Are. And luckily where I'm at, they are, they are a-okay with that. Mm-hmm. And we need help. So why not let yeah. people be happy in their work, what they want to do, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. But Cindy, tell us, what do you believe are the potential benefits of an age-diverse workplace? Well, I like to view our workforce as divided into early career, mid-career, and late-career professionals. And I think everybody has something very valuable to bring to the table. So we hear a lot about older workers being um, good mentors. We have a wealth of experience behind us. That's common sense. I heard a concept of multi-layer experience. Mm -hmm. So this can be organizational. You may have seen changes, how to work with other departments, different people. So I think that's very beneficial. And it's something you can't learn in a book, obviously. Older workers are also seen as emotionally stable. We're the survivors. We've been through a bunch of stuff already, (laughs) and we're still on our feet. So I I think that's something positive to bring. And just maybe tell people who are earlier in their careers that it's going to be okay. You know, I have the experience of getting through this. We will. Um, Also, there's the concept of reverse mentoring, where early career professionals can do what we call mentoring up, is helping maybe middle or late career professionals there are new aspects of practice that they can bring in and share with us. I know where I work, a lot of this pertains to pain management and multimodal analgesia. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, we're new using magnesium. It's like, mm, we haven't been on board with that. Tell me more about this. And they can also help us with technology. There's this term that they're digital natives. We may be what's called digital immigrants. We're still learning. <laughs> <laughs> and, I like that. Uh, I've heard of this, but don't see a lot of it. And my gut reaction to reverse mentoring, especially with technology, is, ooh, there's, it opens the door for a judgment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> ah, you don't know how to use this stuff. I think we need to get past that. I think it could be done very gracefully. And, and I'm sure. thinking now, it almost made me laugh, when I finished nurse anesthesia school, propofol came out while mm-hmm. I was in school. Ah, so, okay. And I went to Indianapolis and started a job, and my preceptor, was gonna, I was getting ready to do a DNC, and I went to the Pixis, and propofol was in there. Pulled out propofol, and I was on orientation, and my preceptor said, you can't use that. I said, why not? And she said, I've never used it. And she was going to use thiopental. And I said, well, would you allow me mm-hmm to demonstrate to you because this came out while I was in school and I've used it quite a bit and I think it has better benefits but I was really low-key about it and expecting Mm -hmm. her to say no she was near retirement but she said okay Mm -hmm. and that just made me think of it and I didn't consider it a reverse mentoring but I did feel good later thinking that I could help her with a new drug that she was uncomfortable with and maybe would have never used on her own but since she's with me and I've used it, then now she'd be comfortable using it. Right. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned that. And also, uh, maybe there's a lack of comfort because of the organizational yes. culture. And yes. it's not just one person alone. No. Uh-huh. 
you know, it, yeah, it, it can be done in a it, respectful yeah. manner. I found it happening. Um, like I said, I've gone back to work in a hospital situation. And so I, I'll tease about it. And I go, you can teach an old dog new tricks. I'm like, that is so cool. Now, I will tell you one of the changes kind of that's happening. And it goes back to the technology because, you know, I'll learn something new. And I can't wait to get to the hospital. I only work there one or two days a week. And I can't wait to get there to talk to these kids about what I've learned about. And I, I walk into the anesthesia lounge, and they're all in there on their phones. They're not talking to each other. They're on their phones. And, I, and, and I've talked to them about it. I said, look, I, I want to talk to you guys because I've learned about this new lung ventilation that they're doing at a nearby hospital, and I could not wait to get here to talk to you. I said, put your phones up. Talk. I said, how do you guys learn from each other? Because, you know, some of the best conversations and learning opportunities I ever had was in the anesthesia lounge. Because you're telling about something that just happened to you. And then Jackie would say, you know what? I had that happen to me last year. This is what I did. Mm -hmm. I had a good outcome. Or this is what I learned from the situation. They don't do that. And so now it's become a joke. Sharon's in here. Put your phone up. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. So sometimes good things can come out of out of bad. But you know, this is this is this is a big question here. Um, should late career anesthesia clinicians undergo cognitive testing to ensure that they are safe practitioners? And you know, this question. Um, saying this question as a past president who was right in the middle of all the NBCRNA stuff whenever we they were changing our credentialing. And I would get verbally attacked by older CRNAs whenever I was president. Mm-hmm. You're trying to run us out of our profession. I mean, it was, I wouldn't even give the AANA update whenever I would go to the States. I'd just say, okay. I know this is what everybody wants to talk about, and I'm O positive. Go ahead and call the blood bank because I know y'all are going to feed off of me like wild hyenas here. So, big question. Uh-huh. Yeah, and you know, I have to be fair here in presenting this that, uh, you know, there is cognitive decline, some mental slowing as we age. And I came across articles that talked about cognitive testing. Mm-hmm. So, one of them was from our profession. Um, A couple of others were from the physician anesthesiology literature. So the premise is, you know, we work in a high-stakes job and patient safety is a big concern. So, you know, they paint a very scary picture, I think, when we make these references to cognitive decline, physical, and, you know, other mental degradations. There's the Age Discrimination and Employee Act, and its representatives are vehemently opposed to cognitive testing because it's very clear to see that this could become age discrimination. Okay, we're going to test you all. But because we age differently, there may be people who are perfectly fine. You know, why are you targeting me because of my age? Now, most of the literature I've seen talks about cognitive testing at the age of 70 mm-hmm. and beyond. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, you know, normal retirement age is 65. Uh, most of our CRNAs are under that age. So, you know, it may be something that doesn't really target all of us. 
surgeons have to do some kind of testing after a certain age, uh, don't Well, they? I don't think that it's across the board. I don't about think so either. It's facility no. specific, I would I would. Suspect. I think so. I think okay. so. And this has been challenged and struck down. If I think Yale tried to implement cognitive testing for older physicians, and that was actually struck down. I will tell you, mm -hmm. the, the physician that did my hysterectomy, he was 80 whenever mm -hmm. he did it. And I had given anesthesia for him for years. And he was getting ready to retire. Uh -huh. But, but he, he said, Sharon, I'm still good. I was just tested. I mean, he told me. So he had something. He had he had, had something. But I do think. I'm seeing people I know working later into the workforce, which I'm sure we're going to address. Mm -hmm. but, so it is an interesting question when you know there are people giving anesthesia and they're 74. Right. And mm -hmm. they don't really talk about their age and mm -hmm. oftentimes don't look or act their age. Mm -hmm. If they say their age, mm -hmm. someone would maybe say, oh my. Well, um, just getting back to cognitive testing, is that cognitive tests are designed to, to measure one thing, but is this applicable to your ability to give anesthesia? So that's a criticism of cognitive testing for older individuals. Mm -hmm. um, and it's also very difficult to do because it's not like this is available at your workplace. You have to be flown somewhere, etc. So it's a big undertaking. So it's very controversial, as you can imagine. But there seem to be alternatives to cognitive testing. And I want to give people credit for being able to self-identify that, you know what, I can't keep up with this. I've mm -hmm. noticed a change. Maybe it's time for me to cut back or exit the workforce. So self-reporting. Um, the idea of peer evaluation has been suggested instead of cognitive testing. And I don't know how I feel about that because who's that going to be? Are they the peers that like you? Or are they the peers right. that, that don't like you? That's a great point, you know? but I think it's going on all the time anyway, because none right. of us are working without someone observing us right? in the perioperative team. Uh -huh. And there are many people that are, are critical and they are mm -hmm. looking at you with a critical eye for patient safety and that pick up on something. And I would, I would hope it would be done without discrimination and with kindness if something's uh -huh. noticed. Mm -hmm. You never know. Yeah. You know, I haven't seen that yet. But what I do think happens is that as long as there aren't bad outcomes, et cetera, we're allowing people to practice. Mm -hmm. um, there was also a suggestion of cognitive testing with cause. So oh, I would imagine that if you have some kind of documentation where you're concerned about an older employee, we could say, look, this is what happened. We want you to go for testing. We're concerned about your fitness for duty. So that's well, that another makes sense. way. Mm -hmm. If somebody and, saw something concerning, mm -hmm. I think you have to step in. But. Mm -hmm. Or educating older workers, you know, anybody. When you get to this point and you're starting to notice these things, you know, consider that this might be time to give up your profession. Uh, assume a non-clinical role, you know, such as, well, they've suggested pre-anesthetic uh, testing, serving as a consultant, etc. So there's some options being identified. Mm -hmm. What do you think that CRNAs can do to sustain their job satisfaction over the course of their careers and particularly later in our careers? Well, I think that some things are what I'm sure we do already is engage in ongoing education. I think we all have a responsibility to keep up and maintain our profession no matter what we do. Uh, there was all the flap about <laughs> the CPC and testing. But you know, everybody seems to be rocking it. 
my coworkers who are in their 60s, some are in their 70s, they're working contingent and they're saying, I'm going to do this. And I have all the confidence that they're able to. But, you know, a lot of this has to do with self-care, okay, keeping yourself healthy and able to come to work and also to be aware of something called metastereotyping. We know the stereotypes about older workers. You're feeble, you can't keep up, you're less competent, you're not up on things, you can't use technology. If we're not careful, we can tell ourselves the lie. Yes. Okay. And say, oh, yeah, I'm old, you know, I'm an old dog, I can't do this. I can be careful of that. I say have confidence here in your abilities still. So I think that's another way of maintaining, um, you know, your maintaining your career and remaining successful. Well, at this same institution that I work at, one day the OR was slow. We're all sitting in the lounge, and believe it or not, I was on my phone this time, but <laughs> answering some emails, and, I, you know, you, you kind of tune out the, what they're talking about, and all of a sudden everybody was laughing. And I looked up, and I said, what are y'all laughing at? And then they just kind of looked around. I said, oh, come on. What are y'all laughing about? And they said, well, we were just all talking about how many years we had all been giving anesthesia. And one of the young CRNAs there, his name's Greg, said, well, and we figured out that you've been giving anesthesia longer than anybody in the room, and you're the anesthesia grandma. And I looked <laughs> up, and, and he winks at me, and I said, boy, just because you're cute, don't think you can get away with calling me a grandma. <laughs> so it's, it's but I, you know, I approached it with, with humor, uh -huh. and, and they weren't being ugly. I don't, I don't mean that yeah. in uh -huh. any way, shape, or form, because whenever I went to work there, I was very clear. They all knew my name. And I said, just because I have been active in our profession does not mean that I know how to turn on this gas machine because I haven't seen one of these because I've not been in a hospital situation in 16 years. And they were all absolutely fantastic to me. I couldn't have asked for a better situation. And they would get me off in a room somewhere and they'd go, we know who you are. And thank you for everything that you have done for our profession. They were, they've been absolutely fantastic with, with me because I had to go through a learning period. It took sure. me a couple of weeks. I'd mm -hmm. never seen Epic. We didn't have electronic medical records. You know, it looks like a cockpit of an airplane now. <laughs> and, and, but they have been absolutely magnificent with me. So, but I do use humor a lot of time. And so sure. I'll, I'll mm -hmm. see him and he'll wink and he'll so you know as we continue along the lines of this subject we we've got to talk about retirement mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and you know we've done some podcasts on that because jeremy is a financial counselor uh, okay um and he's 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 a, a counselor on other levels because when you're talking about people's money <laughs> um, important you, uh -huh. yes but also when you start talking about retirement. So talk to us about the emotions associated with retirement. Okay. Well, I think number one is a loss of identity. Mm. In a profession like this that you have invested so much to get to and the kind of work that we've done, we're very passionate about what we do and it becomes who we are. So if you imagine the day that you're no longer doing this, then who are you? Mm. 
You mean like somebody who wears a blingy pin on everything that they own that says CRNA? <laughs> you wouldn't be talking about me, would you? Right. I, you know, I think that's, uh, that's huge. A lot of emotions go with that. Um, and I think that I always say, I haven't retired, I'm not going to yet, but in my observations of others, it's a process. It's not an event. I think we traditionally view retirement as flipping the calendar to your 65th birthday. It's like, oh, that's it. That's the end of my job. Um, I've known people that have retired by the age of 60, 62, etc. And it just seems to be when they're ready. It's a personal decision. Um, interesting, I had a couple people that I know say, somebody very passionate in the nurse anesthesia profession went through major turmoil on the job and she said, I'm retiring. She's 62. And she said, it's just not fun anymore. Mm. I thought, wow. Okay. Somebody else was talking about retiring. She identified a date and then didn't leave. Mm. And then all of a sudden she's retiring. She said, I sat up in bed one day and said, I have nothing left to give. I'm done. Those are so negative though. Mm. Those feelings. And well, mm -hmm. I think if you are done and uh, you've decided you're done, that's one thing. Mm-hmm. But if all of a sudden Somebody else someone does. else is maybe encouraging you because you're older, uh -huh. just think about universities, businesses. Mm -hmm. We're gonna we're trying to get people to retire yeah. with a mm -hmm. plan because now we can hire somebody else with Oof. less uh -huh. salary than you, and you're close mm -hmm. to retirement anyway. And they try to give them all these golden parachute packages. Right. Uh -huh. And I see that in the world I'm in, in the university mm -hmm. level and business level. Emotionally, I don't know how some of them deal with it because yeah. in the end, mm -hmm. most of them end up taking it, mm -hmm. but they're not ready. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of negative emotions. There's there are. depression, and, et cetera. It's very, very difficult. And some of our mm -hmm. colleagues, I think, who aren't quite ready, but are feeling maybe it's mm -hmm. age. Mm -hmm. What do they do? They don't take call anymore. Mm -hmm. They go to work in a surgery center or they say, I'm going to retire. And then they're working two days a week somewhere. Yeah. It's not really mm -hmm. retire. Right. Very common. And I yes. see a lot of that is I'm retiring, but I'm coming back contingent or they find some, you know, another role that, uh, you know, I've heard people say, well, I'm not ready to live on a fixed income, et cetera. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you yeah. don't, money is very empowering and in a profession like this, yes, where we're well compensated. Uh, and a lot of us are women who may out earn our spouses. That's something else we haven't looked at. Is oh, what, that's what's behind right. all that? You know, that is um, a very good point. I, I wonder what the percentage is. I've never seen that. What either. percentage of of CRNAs do? Uh, uh, and I'm talking about for females. Yeah. Because that's uh, a that's an interesting paradigm. It's never bothered my husband that I make more yeah. money than mm -hmm. him. And he's like, keep on making money, honey. He could care less. <laughs> but the idea of not drawing your own paycheck, I think, is very daunting just you know, by itself. Beyond the Mask is made possible by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. With almost two decades of experience, the firm guides CRNAs through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Schedule a free consultation today by calling 855-304-3748 or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. Do you have suggestions on what CRNAs can do to help prepare for that major life event of retirement? Hmm. Well, I, like I said, 
it is a process and not an event is to find other interests. Maybe just kind of remember who you are mm -hmm. outside of your profession. Maybe start picking up your hobbies, etc. Being aware of the emotional impact of you know, how this can be. Um, hopefully, financially, we've made good decisions that will allow us to maybe stop our regular paycheck or the paycheck that's not as big as it used to be. I like the concept of phased retirement. And uh, I've thrown that term out there and gotten a fair amount of pushback. And it's like, really? well, there's a reason we do this because we are mentally separating for some, from something that is such a large part of us and cutting your hours, et cetera. You know, just to kind of make room for the life outside of anesthesia as a gradual adjustment, I think is a great option or bridge jobs. And I think that goes back to the people that retire and may go mm -hmm. contingent in their own department or find something else as just a way of easing out until the day that maybe you say, okay, I'm ready to give this up for good. Yeah, I think it's interesting. This profession takes so much time and we love it, mm -hmm. right? And it's, right. you're at a good status in people's mm -hmm. vision, mm -hmm. but you do give up a lot with call and working mm -hmm. a lot of hours. And when they're short, you feel mm -hmm. compelled to go in and help the patients and you miss family things. and. Mm -hmm. My friends that have retired and did it, they knew a date, they set a date, they wake up the next day and it's almost, what am I gonna do? And I so much agree with you that you need to reconnect with your friends, your mm -hmm. family, the support systems, but the things you like to do, or you are going to be miserable. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a very common phenomenon afterward. You know, people well, experience great degrees of depression. Sure. Well, I think there's another piece to this for the CRNA community. And the statistics tell us that 88% of nurse anesthetists love giving anesthesia. They love their job <laughs> and they would choose it all over again. Uh -huh. I have never heard of any other profession having that level within their profession. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we all know people who said, you know, I, I hate my job. I wish I would have done something else. And, uh -huh. uh, but that's not so for CRNAs. No. I mean, yeah, that's true. What mm -hmm. I, what I tell people now is I still love giving anesthesia 31 years later. I still love it. I still get a kick out of it. I don't want to do it every day. You know, mm -hmm. I, 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 I used that whenever I first got out of school, I worked every day that I could because I just loved it, loved it. And I still do. And I'm not alone in this sentiment. CRNAs will tell you that. I worked with a, a plastic surgeon for 20 years in his office. And he, I gave my last anesthetic for him when he was 81 years old. And he's still alive. Mm -hmm. He's going to be 92 this month or 91 this month so it's been 10 years ago and he tells me Sharon don't retire don't ever retire he said just slow down but the worst thing I ever did was retire and he was mm -hmm. 81 whenever. <laughs> <laughs> wow <laughs> whenever whenever he retired so uh, you know I don't think I'll ever retire I think I will do something different uh, because CRNAs have a lot of skills yes. outside of that. I mean, what about you, Jackie? I don't think we've ever had this discussion with the Fab Four. You know, I don't know. I'm 62. And originally I thought, oh, you know, 65. That's the, the, 
the magic time, number. The number mm-hmm. that we all grew up. Right. And, you know, they, uh-huh. Of course, Medicare doesn't say 65 for my age group. Yeah, 67. So, yes, here you so. go. And it's really, though, I don't think it's the number. I think we financially prepare. But again, I I just haven't decided yet. I mm-hmm. still love what I do sure. also. But I will tell you what, I have promised myself many times, if I wake up one day and I'm done, I'm going to be done. And I had that in a job. I always said, if I wake up, I get in the car and I don't want to go to work. Well, that's a Jackieism. Jackie, we all know that about (laughs) you anyway. But it hasn't happened only, well, I guess twice. twice. Uh But I have a lot of other interests too. And that is what does concern me about some of our colleagues who... Their profession and the ANA has been everything to them, and it is who they are, as Cindy said. And I worry about them. What? How are they going to feel? And how are they going to get integrated back into life and feel that they're worth something and their life has worth Mm -hmm. when they leave the profession Mm -hmm. for whatever reason? Mm -hmm. Well, we've seen that. We have. We've seen that, especially with some of our leaders that we've had. That that was like the peak yeah and it's a great profession and career but it can't be the be all end all no so what about you cindy now since we've dished (laughs) it's your turn (laughs) what do you think you're going to do well i don't have an answer and here's what i can tell you is i need something that is as intellectually stimulating as this career not that there's anything wrong with this, but, you know, doing something that's very simple. Volunteering at the local public library. You know, don't take this the wrong way. Mm-hmm. It's like, that's not enough for me. Right. Oh, no, I agree. No, no. And so what is it out there that will kind of be the same on the same level as practice as a nurse and, uh, anesthesiologist? That's a tough one. Mm-hmm. And I'm still thinking about it. I don't have an answer. You don't have that. Well, this has been an absolutely fascinating conversation for me, and I guess it's because I'm on that other yeah, uh, other end of that. But, you know, but just think about the nomenclature that we use. Whenever I turned 50, you know, they were saying, you're middle-aged. I'm like, I'm not middle-aged. I'm mm-hmm. two-thirds aged. <laughs> right? Yeah, well. I mean, I'm not going to live to be 100. Mm-hmm. Not in my family. Pierces maybe, but <laughs> but not in my family. So even the nomenclature is a, is is a little off if you think about it. Because I was middle aged probably whenever I was thirty five. <laughs> yeah, you don't you don't know, do you? No, you you don't know. But Cindy, anything you would like to conclude on, or any message that you would like to leave our listeners with? Maybe something really positive after we <laughs> hit some of this stuff. Well, you know, I just think that we need to recognize the relevance and the value of late career CRNAs. Once again, I'll go back. I don't think anybody should be miserable on the job. Mm -hmm. Okay. And that I really hope that we overcome biases and stigmas against older people in general, but also, you know, late career and older CRNAs. It's critical to maintaining our workforce. I think we're the survivors and we need to congratulate ourselves. Yes. (laughs) Okay. On what we've accomplished and who we are and that I hope everybody listens to this podcast because if you're not a late career CRNA odds are you're going you to be one day <laughs> and if you <laughs> you hope so um, and that 
people in leadership positions also hear this so that we can increase some awareness there and they're aware of our value and, you know, uh, set their biases aside. Well, great. thank you for all that you do for the profession. Thank you for bringing this uh, to light and, uh-huh. and talking about it because it's something that not everybody wants to talk about, but we need to talk about it. Yes. Indeed. Well, so I appreciate it. I think it's a wrap. Thanks for listening to Beyond the Mass with the absent Jeremy Stanley, myself, Sharon Pierce, and guest co-host, Jackie Rolls. If you like our show and want to help us grow, Jackie, can you tell our listeners how to help the show grow? The best way to help is to like the show, share it on social media, tell your friends, and leave a review, but make it positive. As Jeremy says, we all know there's enough negativity in the world. Beyond the Mask is in the top 50 medical podcasts in the country and number one in the CRNA community. Thank you to all our listeners. Until the next time. Hey, CRNAs, it's time to simplify your continuing education. Welcome to CRNAeducation.com, your trusted provider for CPC core modules and a plethora of Class A CE credits. You can explore 43 detailed articles covering various anesthesia topics, all from your favorite device, anytime, anywhere. And with over 40 pharmacology CE credits, meet your state board requirements effortlessly. Whether you need a few credits or everything to recertify, we have what you need. Just complete your credits online without any subscriptions or recurring charges. You can trust in our 100% CRNA-owned platform, established in 2011, ensuring you receive the best in customer service and educational content. Ready to learn? Go to crnaeducation.com making continuing education easy and accessible. And don't forget that support is always a quick email or a text or phone call away. To sign up and learn more, just go to crnaeducation.com. Today's show is brought to you by the folks at CRNA Financial Planning, an independent consulting firm that offers financial planning services exclusively to CRNAs and their families. From planning for a child's future college expenses to building a predictable income stream in retirement, the firm is committed to offering you comprehensive financial services customized to fit your unique needs and objectives. If you have questions about your financial future, get them answered. Call the team at 855-304-3748. That's 855-304-3748. Or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. Hi, this is Jackie Rolls, President of the International Federation of Nurse Anesthetists and President and Founder of Our Hearts, Your Hands, a global anesthesia support community that takes donations to allow nurse anesthetists in low and middle income countries to go to educational programs, buy equipment or textbooks. Your donations are tax deductible and we would appreciate your support.
Be sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere you like to listen to shows. Also, be sure to check out beyondthemaskpodcast.com. Each episode is posted there with a corresponding blog post, and we timestamp important parts of the episode to help you quickly get to the content you're looking for. Also, check out the special series section on the site. You can follow along and catch up on the CRNA History Series, episodes specifically about political conversations in the industry, or try the CRNA Personal Finance Series. It's all on beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And if you have a question for the show or want to be a guest or even suggest a particular topic, fill out the contact form on the site or send an email directly to us at info at beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And lastly, let's take the conversation social. Check out our Beyond the Mask podcast Facebook page and Facebook group.